I have a question for you to begin with. Have you noticed any trends in the messages that we have heard over the last several weeks? Any commonalities in those messages? Maybe lump many of Mr. Weston's weekly comments, his commentaries on top of that. What kind of trends have you noticed? Have you recognized an increased sense of urgency, spiritually speaking, in these messages? Almost a pushing, a prodding for all of us to draw closer to God, to notice the idols that we might have in our lives to be responsive to God who's pursuing us. Think about messages from Mr. Rod McNair recently, Mr. Wallace Smith, my father, Douglas Winnale, last week. What about the news? Certainly the COVID-19 pandemic has been permeating and saturating the news cycle lately. But as we look around the world, brethren, what other major events have you noticed going on? Have we been paying attention to the news beyond just the COVID outbreak? Brethren, there's a massive locust infestation in the Horn of Africa in the Middle East. Mr. Weston has pointed this out a couple of times. And when I say massive, I mean massive. And it's a recurring thing. And every time these locusts reproduce, they increase by a magnitude of 10 or more. They're devastating. This week, extensive floods, this past week, extensive floods hit North Africa, killing several hundred people. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's another uh, epidemic, viral epidemic, hitting Europe right now. It's actually a swine flu, and it's forecast to kill millions of pigs across Eastern Europe and into Germany. Now, that's a big deal because the German people are major consumers of pork. And what happens when the pork market is decimated in a country that is dependent upon that meat source? There's another flu epidemic going on, this time a bird flu epidemic in the island nation of Ireland. And it's killing tens of thousands or millions of chickens The problem there is the Irish are running short on eggs, and they're having to import a lot of eggs right now. It may not seem like a big deal, but when you put these viral epidemics on top of the pandemic that we're seeing, it begins to take on a little bit different look. We all know that the economy worldwide is suffering now. And when we look around, we see economists forecasting that the the recession that we're moving into will be the greatest economic downturn since the 1930s depression. In fact, the German newspaper Deutsche Welle on May 5th predicted a recession for Europe, a recession of historic proportions. Many of us know that the U.S. unemployment statistics are growing roughly 30 million actually 33 million i think as of this week Uh, americans have applied for unemployment economists are forecasting that 20 an unemployment rate of 20 to 25 percent as this epidemic wears on that's a tremendous amount and in fact that's roughly double what we hit back in 2008 in 2009 We also see oil prices plummeting, and this is doing a number on international oil markets. 
But brethren, this is basically going to apparently cause a collapse in our oil shale fracking industry here in the United States. Many who are forecasters in that area are speculating that oil shale fracking will not come back in the United States. And as we think about it, it's that industry that's allowed the United States to become oil independent in the last few years. What does this mean? Uh, Economists are talking about how the U.S. will become oil dependent once again on the Middle East and other oil sources, which means that we are at their whim as they choose to increase oil prices. Finally, this is a quote from the BBC, April 21, 2020. Uh, Mr. David Beasley, who's the World Food Program head, pleaded that the world must act quickly because, quote, we could be facing multiple famines of biblical proportions within a few short months, unquote. He's talking about in areas of the Middle East, Africa, and South America. And as a result of this pandemic, many of us are so blessed to live in these developed nations where our economies have enough legs on them and enough roots where when times get difficult, our governments can jump in and subsidize and make sure that people have food on their plates. But in these developing nations around the world where the economies are so weak, when they force people to stay in their homes with an epidemic, what happens? People don't eat. Most people in those nations live hand to mouth. In order to have food, they've got to work that day to earn enough income to buy food for that day. And so when they're forced to stay home, they don't have full pantries. They don't have full refrigerators and freezers, and they're starving. And this is what's being talked about. Brethren, we're living in very difficult times, as I think you're aware of. But I wanted to review just some of the world headlines and sufferings that are going on in the world around us to hit home the gravity of the times that we're living in. Brethren, today... In the next several minutes, I want to review some of the end-time prophecies with you that will clearly make the case for us to be using the events of our day and age to motivate us to become even more serious about God's truth and His way of life. The title of the split sermon this afternoon is, It's Time to Get Serious. It's Time to Get Serious. I talked a little bit about this in my Bible study Last week, but I wanted to go into more detail today. <clears throat> you know, God's people have known for millennia, haven't they? And haven't we? That Jesus Christ is going to return. In fact, many of you who have come into the church, even in recent years, if you've come out of worldly Christianity, you've known probably for most of your life that Jesus Christ is going to return. The challenge is the longer we have to wait for Christ's return, the easier it is to become jaded or to be lulled into spiritual complacency. Especially when we live in a world like we do today, where in many ways we are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Times are more difficult now. We can't get out as frequently as we could. There may not be some of the choices that we have had in the past, but we are still rich and increased with goods and and have need of very little. Mr. Weston made a comment in his editorial in the just-published Living Our World Ahead magazine. 
His article entitled, uh, let me get this right. His article entitled, A World on the Brink. In, in that, he made the following comment. He said, the Bible tells us that even more difficult times are ahead, such as we can hardly imagine. COVID-19 should be a wake-up call as to what lies ahead. A wake-up call. A relatively small-scale warning to a complacent world of what is to come unless we amend our ways and turn from our immoral behaviors and stop rejecting our Creator. It is no coincidence that our world is being turned upside down at the very time we are turning morality on its head. So Mr. Weston points out that what's going on around us is a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call for the world, but how much more should it be for us, brethren? How many of us really want the end of the age to come and the difficulties of the end of the age to come and possibly the opportunity to leave our homes and the comforts of our homes and perhaps even live in a cave for three and a half years as we wait in that place of safety for Christ to return. And by the way, if you're not familiar with the concept of the place of safety or need to review it, Mr. Rod McNair has actually given a few sermons on that in the last several years. If you go to our lcg.org website and search place of safety, you'll definitely pull one of those up. So brethren, how can we use this coronavirus pandemic and the consequential, consequential events surrounding it to motivate us, to help us realize that we're actually closer to the end of the age than many of us have been thinking or feeling. Brethren, these events that we're seeing around us are the handwriting on the wall that should motivate us to spiritually focus and prepare even more. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5 as we begin. And we think about this concept of getting even more serious about God's truth and his way of life. Ephesians chapter 6, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, let's look at verse 15 and 16. Ephesians 5, 15 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools. That word circumspectly means in part seriously. We need to walk seriously, thinking seriously of the times that we're in and of the the time that we have and how we use our time. See that you walk circumspectly, seriously, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Using the time, maximizing the time we have right now because the days are evil. We're drawing closer to the end of the age. Matthew chapter 25. Let's look at a group of ladies, Matthew 25. We'll look at a group of ladies, some of whom walked circumspectly, who walked seriously, some of whom used their time wisely, spiritually speaking, and some of whom did not. Matthew 25. And this is a parable that you're familiar with, but it's one that Christ gave us. And I think it's important to recollect that Matthew chapter 24 precedes Matthew 25. Matthew 24 is one of the Olivet prophecies in which Jesus Christ was asked, what are the signs that are coming? What should we look for to be able to tell whether we're at the end of the age and your your return is approaching? And in Matthew 24, Christ went through many warnings related to that. 
Matthew 25 follows on the heels of that context of Matthew 24. And so in Matthew 25, verse 1, Christ said, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps, and they went out to meet the bridegroom. Remember who these virgins are. Actually, I would ask you, who are these virgins? Who do they represent? Well, they represent God's elect, don't they? They're the called out ones from the earth. Both the wise and the foolish virgins are. They're called to be first fruits, a feast that we'll be celebrating three weeks from tomorrow, the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Pentecost. But all of these virgins, they're virgins, um, spiritual virgins, called out of the world, called to be separate. So they took their lamps and they went to meet the bridegroom, verse 2. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom delayed, they all slumbered and slept. So you've got the wise and the foolish. We know that in the Bible, uh, oil itself is a symbol for God's Holy Spirit. And so you've got these wise virgins who took lamps, vessels, and they, they had them filled with, or they were busy filling them with God's Holy Spirit. Their, their wicks in the lamps were trimmed. They were ready to go. They were doing spiritually what they needed to do so that they would be ready when Christ returned. They were growing spiritually. They were fanning into flame God's Holy Spirit. They were growing in faith. The foolish virgins took lamps, they had a vessel, but they were empty. They didn't have God's Holy Spirit. And then we're told here that the bridegroom, representative of Christ, delayed his coming. And what happened? All of them got complacent for a little while, didn't they, spiritually speaking? All of them, even the wise, slumbered and slept. And it's verse 6, at midnight the cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. And all the virgins arose. They trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. Now, we can't really give our Holy Spirit away, can we? A portion of it. No, we have to work with God individually to build more of His Holy Spirit and the fruits of His Spirit. Verse 9, The wise answered, No, lest there should not be enough for us and for you, but you go, rather, sell and buy for yourselves. And they, that is the foolish virgins, went to buy as they, while they went, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding and the door was shut. And certainly God says to the, to the uh, foolish virgins when they show up at the door, let us in, they say. And he says, I never knew you. <clears throat> I never knew you. Why didn't he know them? Because they didn't spend time developing a relationship with him. The question is, brethren, what signs were the foolish virgins waiting for to get started focusing spiritually? What were they waiting for? What were they looking for? Were there specific signs? How long were they planning to wait to really begin to focus, to spiritually hunker down and prepare you know, Mr. Weston has repeatedly reminded us recently about scriptures that prophesy of the coming chaos and collapse in the Israelite-descended nations. My father has done so as well over the years. And these scriptures talk about how 
Times will go along and then the Israelite descended nations will collapse suddenly. Destruction will come suddenly and surprisingly on them. Let's turn to Revelation 3 and we see another warning. Revelation 3. We see another warning that is actually you'll notice some some real similarities between Revelation 3, the passage we'll read, and what we just read in Matthew chapter 25 about the virgins, the wise and particularly the foolish virgins. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God. This is Christ writing, and he says, verse 15, I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold, spiritually speaking. You're not on fire. You don't have a fire in your belly for the truth. And you're not ice cold either. I could wish that you were hot or cold, God says. I would rather you be hot or cold. Verse 16, so then because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. We, we see what God thinks about spiritual lukewarmness or complacency. It's nauseating to God. Verse 17, because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and need of nothing, rich and increased with goods, And do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, spiritually speaking, he says. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, that spiritual nakedness. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. You see the similarity here with the foolish virgins who were also told, go buy Buy that oil, because we can't give it to you ourselves. Christ here says, you go, uh, buy, buy from me gold, and buy white garments. Verse 19, he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous, excited, stirred up, have a fire in your belly for the truth, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come to him and dine with him and he with me. So we see here an admonition from Jesus Christ to the church at Laodicea. He says, wake up, be zealous. You've not been on fire for the truth, but I want you to be. Because if you're not on fire, if you're just going through the motion spiritually, if you're just keeping the Sabbath and uh, you tithing and maybe you're not eating pepperoni on your pizza, but you're not wholeheartedly in it, God says, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Please repent, change, go the other way so that I can bless you, he says. Daniel chapter 12. Let's look at another passage here. An end time passage, Daniel 12. And let's read together verse 10. We'll break in, well, verse 9. Daniel 12 and verse 9. And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Verse 10. Many shall be purified, made white, and refined. We see this concept again. We just read it in Revelation 3. Buy gold refined in the fire and white garments. And here we see it again. Many will be made, will be purified, made white, refined. But 
The wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. The wise are going to understand. The wise are going to be purified and made white, but the wicked continue to do wickedly. It's a warning. It's a warning of a, a state of mind that the foolish virgins at the end of the age will fall into. And God doesn't want us to be fools, does He? He wants us to be wise. He's called us to be wise. Luke 21. Luke chapter 21. We're going to read two different pieces of the Olivet Prophecy here, two different um, angles on Christ's comments, both through the, the writer Luke and also through the writer Matthew. Luke 21, another one of those Olivet chapters, Olivet Prophecy chapters. Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. Luke 21, verse 36. Luke 21, verse 36. And we we see a phrase here that Christ uses multiple times in the Gospels. He says, watch, watch therefore, and pray once in a while. Is that what your version of the Bible says? Pray once in a while? No, it doesn't, does it? It says, pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. This is a command from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when he was on the earth. Yes, he gave it to the disciples almost 2,000 years ago, but he's giving it to us at the end of the age as well, isn't he? And he's saying, watch. And he's not saying, watch, and when you see certain events take place, pray. He just says, watch and pray always. And do what? Pray for what? That you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that must come to pass. And to stand before the Son of God. That we may be counted worthy to escape. Escape what? Escape these terrible events so that we're not having to go through them. Remember the Israelites and how the last six plagues, they escaped. They didn't have to go through them like they did the first. We're also told to escape because it's talking about the place of safety here as well. He's referring to that. A time of three and a half years of safety for God's people so they won't have to go through the great tribulation in the day of the Lord. And he's saying, pray about these things. Again, I'd refer you to Mr. Rod McNair's sermons on the place of safety. Just search that at the lcg.org website. Brethren, the question is, are we praying this way? Am I praying this way? How often are we praying this way? Once in a great while or always, as Christ admonishes us to Because when we pray this always, brethren, it puts us in a frame of mind, a serious frame of mind, not a a fearful frame of mind, but a serious one so that we are seriously considering what's going on around us in the world. And we're motivated to continue to pray always that we and our families and our friends in the truth And our brethren around the world will be counted worthy to escape these things that must come to pass, these terrible end time events, and to be there at the first resurrection when Christ returns and so that the doors are open wide to us and not closed in our face. Matthew 24. Let's go there and look at a little bit more of an explanation of this concept, brethren, of praying praying that we can be counted worthy to escape 
to stand before Jesus Christ when he returns. Matthew 24 and verse 20. Matthew 24 and verse 20. Here we, we see Christ give the command again. Matthew records this just a little bit differently, a little bit different details. Matthew 24, 20. And pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. Your flight where? To the Feast of Tabernacles? No, to this place, this place of safety. Don't let it be in the winter. Travel in the wintertime can be very treacherous in certain areas of the world. And don't let it be on the Sabbath. Even though at the end of the age, Daniel um, talks about how Daniel 11 talks about how we'll have, in Daniel 12, roughly 30 days from the time that the sacrifices cease and the abomination of desolation is set up. A short period of time before everything breaks loose and the Great Tribulation begins. But even in that time of stress and trouble and terror and fleeing, God wants us to be able to keep His Sabbath. And that's, that becomes very clear here. But it says, pray. Pray that your flight be not in the winter or on the Sabbath. Luke said, pray that you may be counted worthy to escape these things that must come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man when he returns. Pray always. Brethren, are we praying these things? How frequently are we praying these things? Are we praying these things always as Jesus Christ admonishes us? If not, the question is, when will we begin to pray these things? What events do we need to see before we begin to pray this way regularly if we're not already doing it? And this is, I'm not pointing the finger at you because obviously if I do, I've got three pointing back at me. We have to look at these passages. We have to look at this admonition from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to take it to heart. We've got to look around at what's going on in the world around us. No, we're not at the end of the age Yet, Mr. Weston has reminded us in, in some of his actually recent commentaries that Christ is not coming back tomorrow. He's not coming back next week or next year or even three and a half years from now. Events need to take place yet. But brethren, if we wait too long, it may be too late. You know, as a College professor for many years, I had the opportunity to work with, I've had the opportunity to work with lots of students. And it always amazed me in some ways. Uh, it never ceased to amaze me, I guess I should say. But it was, it was a surprise still when students would wait till the night before an assignment was due or sometimes the day of an assignment being due to complete the assignment. Uh, students coming into speech class having just finished their speeches or even working on them in speech class before they get up to speak. Human nature is lazy, isn't it? It wants us to wait. It wants us to wait until there's not any more time. Think about it. Praying takes time and effort, doesn't it? Takes time out of our day. Studying the Bible and not just reading a verse or two, but studying it, meditating on it takes time. But we've got to do that. Mr. D. Barpartian, a longtime evangelist in the church, used to remind us that if all we're doing is reading the Bible and we're not meditating on it, we're missing the point. Fasting takes time too, doesn't it? Fasting's uncomfortable. 
But it's something that we need to be doing on a regular basis. We've been reminded over the years by the ministry that we probably should be fasting every six, every four or six weeks, maybe eight weeks at the most. In fact, there's a sermon that you might want to look up on the lcg.org website entitled God's People Must Fast that is related to this topic. We need to be doing this. We need to be doing it now. We don't want to miss out, brethren, on being able to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye because we waited too long to fill our lamps. Again, asking the question back to the, to the foolish virgins, what do you think the foolish virgins were waiting for to begin filling their lamps? That's why Jesus Christ said in Matthew 24 and 25, you might want to go back through those two chapters with a highlighter and circle every time he said watch. That's why he said watch, because the signs are all around. Let's go to verse 32 in Matthew 24. Verse 32. And let's read a couple more pieces of Christ's admonition to them and to us here at the end of the age. Matthew 24, verse 32. Here's the parable of the fig tree. He says, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and it puts forth leaves, you know that the summer is near. And I know a number of you out there, some of us even in this room, have fig trees. Uh, we've got, we don't have any at our house, but my next door neighbor has them. And the leaves have been on his fig tree for over a month now. And I know that once we get through this cold weather, if it doesn't kill all the leaves tonight with a frost, give it just a few weeks and there are going to be baby figs on this fig tree, especially as the weather warms up. The leaves on the tree are an indicator that we can count on the fruit coming. And so Christ uses this analogy that when the, when the uh, branch has already become tender, it puts forth leaves, you know that the summer is near. Verse 33, so you, when you see all these things, all what things? Go back and read Matthew 24, verses 4 through about 31. There are a bunch of signs to watch for. Wars, rumors of wars, false prophets coming in Jesus Christ's name, proclaiming to speak for him, pestilences, disease epidemics, famines, earthquakes in diverse places. When you begin to see these things, what does it say? Know that it is near. Christ's return. It's at the doors. Verse 34, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Let's look down a little bit further. Keep reading. Verse 36, Now, but of that day and hour, the return of Christ, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Verse 37, But as... The days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. My father talked about this last week in his sermon on the Bible, history, and catastrophes. I don't want to dig in too far, but I do want to bring this verse up again in the context of what we're talking about, signs of the end of the age. As were the days of Noah, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 38, 
For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. Society was terrible at that time. Noah was a preacher of righteousness, though he'd been preaching to them. They could see this huge, massive boat that he built, very likely in a field far away from any uh, significant body of water. They saw things. Society was falling apart. Immorality was permeating everything. There were signs that God was going to destroy the earth with a flood. But they didn't pay attention. Life went on, didn't it? Until the day they entered the ark, and they didn't know, until the flood came and took them away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Signs will be there if we're watching. If we're watching, we'll be able to see it. We'll see people coming in the name of Jesus Christ saying that they're speaking for him. We'll see disease epidemics happening all around us. We'll see wars. We'll see rumors of wars going on all around us. We'll see famines occurring. Famines of biblical proportions occurring all around the world. Those who are watching will see, but life will go on, won't it? We're in a worldwide pandemic, something that hasn't happened in over a hundred years. Yet, are we suffering, most of us? Are we really suffering in our homes? It's going to get cold tonight. We'll put on the heat, won't we? Throw on an extra blanket. We'll be comfortable. Is your refrigerator empty? Probably not. You may be missing a couple of items that you normally would have, or you might be paying a little bit more for them or waiting a little bit longer to get them, but we still get them, don't we? We're not missing meals, most of us. We are very comfortable. We are blessed beyond belief in many ways when you compare us to the rest of the world. Are people marrying and giving in marriage? How many people listening to this have been married in the last month and a half? Quite a few of you. I know, I was there for some of those weddings. Life goes on. Life will go on at the end of the age. But for those who are watching, they will see. Let's look at one more verse here in this passage. Verse 42, a couple more verses here. 42, Jesus Christ again says, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour the Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. If somebody called up the master and said, okay, at 12.01 in the morning, the thief's going to break in. The master would have been ready, right? He probably would have set an alarm clock for 11 o'clock in the evening the night before. Or 11.30, so he'd be up wide awake and ready for that thief at 12.01. God doesn't tell us exactly when he's coming, does he? But he does give us signs to watch for. And that's why Christ said that. Watch, therefore. You don't know exactly when Christ is coming, but you have signs to be aware of. Verse 44, therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The decline will come suddenly. Yet for those who are watching, you can't miss it. Just like you can't miss the fact that the fig trees are going to bring fruit when you see the leaves come on the trees. It's not a secret 
It's not a secret. Christ puts it in front of us. 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. We have the words of the Apostle Paul written to the church at Thessalonica, but certainly he wrote these words to us, didn't he? For the, at the end of the age. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 1. Notice the way Paul put this, brethren. He said, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Why did he say that? Why did he say, I don't need to write to you about the seasons and the times? Because Christ already said it, didn't he? Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. He gave us the signs of the end of the age to watch for. Yet Paul goes on, verse 2, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, they say, the people in the world say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. We know better. We've been taught better. Verse 5, You are the sons of light and the sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, verse 6, Let us not sleep as others do, not like those foolish virgins, but let us watch and be sober. Be serious. Brethren, this pandemic that we're experiencing and the collateral issues that are out there for us to see really are a blessing in disguise for God's people, for God's elect, for you and me. What is God's intent with these events that are going on? Well, certainly He has a message He's trying to send to the world. He's trying to get their attention. He wants them to repent. But for you and me, these events should be a shot across our spiritual bow. Brethren, how would God want us to use our time now as we see these events happening all around us and frankly some of the extra time that we have at home being stuck at home what does he want us to learn what does he want us to apply as the world reels from catastrophe after catastrophe brethren the signs of the end of the age are all around us and they are increasing mr wyatt saselka wrote an article on the signs of the end of the age in the, in the most recent Tomorrow's World magazine. And he talked about how the four horsemen of Revelation 6 are increasing their ride and they're heading toward a climax. Brethren, I, don't give you, I want to give you three homework items to work on after the sermon today. As we think about becoming more aware of what's going on around us and becoming more aware as we watch for the signs of the end of the age. The first assignment, this is a short reading assignment, is to read 2 Timothy chapter 3. Read 2 Timothy chapter 3, particularly the front half of that chapter, where Paul is giving us signs of the end of the age, signs that will permeate society, characteristics that will permeate society at the end of the age. Read through that. Meditate on it. Talk with others about it. If there's no one in your house to talk about, call up another church member. Message them. Discuss each of these characteristics. But read 2 Timothy 3. The second task for you 
is to read, or if you've read it before, review the booklet that we publish on 14 Signs Announcing Christ's Return. Read or get a copy of the booklet and reread 14 Signs Announcing Christ's Return. Brethren, these are signs we must be watching for. Dr. Meredith lays things out very clearly. I'm going through that booklet myself again and was reading it this morning with a highlighter. And it is amazing how prophetic some of his comments were when he wrote that booklet a number of years back. Please do take the time. Review that booklet, 14 Signs Announcing Christ's Return. These are the signs we have to watch for so that we're not caught unaware. Any related booklet, if you haven't read it, please do. If you have read it, pull it out again. Reread it. it is our book on um, booklet on Revelation Unveiled. The book of Revelation Unveiled. It too goes through many signs to be watching for and the sequence of events at the end of the age. Brethren, we're called and God has given us his truth. As Paul said, basically, we have no excuse to be caught unaware. The signs are all over the place in the scripture. And if we're watching, we will see them all around us. No, we don't want to get buggy about it. We don't want to become fearful. Christ, as Mr. Weston has said, is not going to return uh, tomorrow or next week or even in a few years. But he will come. And it's getting much closer Let's be sure to use this time of quarantine and pandemic and the related catastrophes around the world as a spiritual catalyst, a spiritual motivator, so that, brethren, as time draws short, our lamps are trimmed and full of oil and we're spiritually ready to go. This is what God would want us to do at this time. He wants us to really get serious, spiritually speaking. Final scripture, Revelation 19. Revelation 19, let's read about these women one more time, the virgins. In fact, in Revelation 19, we're reading about the wise virgins and the consequence of their actions. Remember, Revelation 19, these wise virgins were the ones who kept their lamps full of oil. They were the ones who were studying. They were the ones who were spiritually growing. They were the ones who were watching world events and using those things to motivate them to get serious so they wouldn't miss out. Revelation 19 and verse 7. Let's break into the concept here. Revelation 19, verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His wife these spiritual virgins, these elect, these called out ones, you and me, were called to be part of this, brethren. His wife has made herself ready. She's been serious. She's been focusing. She's ready for his return. Not just ready as in, I can't wait till it comes. I want it to come. But spiritually ready. Spiritually focused. With lamps that are full. So the door can be opened to her, not shut in her face. Brethren, we still have time before the big guns of prophecy start firing. What we see going on now is just the beginning. But if we wait for the huge prophetic events to happen before we begin getting spiritually serious, it may be too late. And we may find the doors of the kingdom locked in front of us. As Mr. Soselka wrote in his Understanding the the Coming Plagues of Prophecy article in the current Tomorrow's World, May-June 2020. 
He said, until Christ's return, we should diligently turn to God so that we may abide in his love and be counted worthy to escape the coming plagues of prophecy. Brethren, let's all use this time wisely as we've been admonished by God's ministry over and over in the last month and a half. Spiritually speaking, brethren, now is the time to get serious.